Today on the Everything 80s Podcast, Fun House, the greatest game show ever. Hey, Tiny! Hey, how you doing? Hey, Tiny! Get out of here! All right, we got a Whoa. show to do. Welcome to Fun House. Today and every day, we got funny stunts, crazy contests, and a chance for one team to run through the fantastic Fun House. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. And looking back at what I think is the greatest game show in history, hopefully you have remembered this or it's triggered a memory. And we're looking back at Funhouse, a game, I don't know, I can't remember a show hyping me up more. I'm sure every other kid who like grew up in the 80s felt the same way, that you're absolutely going out of your mind watching this show. And like, dreaming about getting on it someday so this will be a look back on everything to do with funhouse the show all that good stuff before we start if you haven't already make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts i should be there okay let's do this so in case you don't know funhouse or you need a quick refresher this was a u.s game show that came out in 1988 was hosted by J.D. Roth that we heard at the beginning there. It involves two teams of kids competing against each other by answering questions and competing in various games. The winning team would get to run through the Funhouse, which was a massive obstacle course to collect money and prizes. And like I said at the, I don't know, top of the show, when you're a kid in the 80s, everything is hyped up and exciting and you just want to picture yourself, whether you're like a kid in a commercial for a toy or on a show like this, you just want to be in that situation. And I loved game shows. I think everyone in the 80s loved game shows. Specifically things like The Price is Right, which is absolutely like total chaos. You could get, again, just overly hyped up watching it. Felt like you were right there. Uh, then again, you know, another this is another golden time for game shows with Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. But, you know, for a kid in the 80s, Funhouse is a game show on steroids. It includes everything a kid would want in a show. It's got messy games a crazy overstimulating environment, prizes, video games, money, adventure. I mean, just the look of the actual fun house itself. You just couldn't believe something like this actually existed. And it's, you know, what you wanted in your own backyard if you were rich enough. So looking back at the idea of fun house, not exactly an original idea. Two years before fun house, a show called Double Dare existed on Nickelodeon. And it was a very similar concept that involved two teams answering trivia questions and then competing in messy challenges and various stunts. The winning team would go through an obstacle course just like you would on Funhouse. So Double Dare, I don't know if you even remember Double Dare. I barely remember this thing. But it was a huge hit for Nickelodeon and it lasted for years even though it would go through various format changes. The concept of the show was seen as a combination of like trivia, truth or dare, and even the game Mousetrap, if you remember that amazing game. You could call Funhouse a total ripoff, but I think it was more capitalizing on what was hot because Double Dare tripled viewership for Nickelodeon and was the most watched afternoon show on cable. So it only makes sense to come up with a competing version. If something is, sometimes it's not a ripoff. If something is so successful... It's not even a ripoff at that point. It's just you're stupid not to create an alternative version of it. So 
Funhouse, as we know, it was created by game show producer Bob Sines, and he would be executive producer of the entire series along with his partner, Mark Stone. It would be co-produced and distributed by Lorimar Telepictures for the first season, but it was then co-produced with Warner Brothers Television Distributors in the second season as they would also distribute the show. So we mentioned J.D. Roth, but we'll look at the hosts and everyone that you'd see on the screen. So J.D. Roth, his actual name was James David Weinroth. And though he said that J.D., if you remember this, J.D. stood for Jammin' Dude. That was his whole thing. So he had been an actor appearing on shows like Star Search. He was also on Charles in Charge, uh, some soap operas, a few things like that. He got the Funhouse gig when he was only 19, making him the youngest host ever of a game show. So unless you're deep into TV, um, you might not know this, but Roth has gone on to do a ton of work in television, most notably as a producer. He is one of the people responsible behind shows like The Biggest Loser, uh, Beauty and the Geek. He even did that show, if you remember, Breaking Bonaducci. He also has his own production company called Three Ball Productions. So on the show, if you remember, he was assisted by two twin cheerleaders named Jackie and Sammy. They were actually real names Jacqueline and Samantha Forrest. Then there was also John Tiny Hurley, who was the announcer for the show. And then sometimes, again, in earlier shows, if you remember this well, they used a break dancer called Michael Boogaloo Shrimp Chambers uh, that they called MC Mike. So here's how the gameplay worked, just to look back on this monumental So you have two teams, one red and one gold, and each team had a boy and a girl on it. As the show got more popular, though, they would sometimes, you know, pair a kid with a teen celebrity just to draw more interest. There's actually an episode with a very young Leonardo DiCaprio making an appearance before he became king of the world, I guess. So the stunt rounds on Funhouse would be done three different times. One involved the boys going head to head. One would be the girls. And the last one would involve everyone. Some games included Pinhead, Dumpo, uh, and involved racing to answer a certain number of questions before the other team. The losing team would usually get a bunch of crap dumped on them like garbage or slime. If you won the stunt race, you would get 25 points. And the odd race would actually end up in a tie sometimes. That would give both teams 25 points because the Funhouse producers are clearly very good sports. And there's also a lot of high-fiving going along, uh, like along the way, a lot of good encouragement. Now we get to the Grand Prix, and things are getting serious now. In the Grand Prix race, you were playing what was technically the fourth and the final round of the show. Both teams would race around a track that went around the studio, and they would trade lanes after the first lap. There would be two different formats for the Grand Prix race, and the first would involve one teammate pushing the other around in some sort of contraption, and then they would trade positions for the second lap. Sometimes you would run the race um, on foot, but either way, you had to stop at various points on the track to complete a challenge. Some of those challenges would include carrying a bunch of junk around, running through tires, squirting targets and having to hit them. The race would be started and finished with the iconic green checkered race flags. There were also the tokens around the track. There were white and blue tokens that could be picked up for additional points. The white was worth 10 and the blue ones worth 25. If you remember the second season, they would have a token bank placed alongside each lane, and that was important. But to count towards the team's score, 
the tokens had to either be in the bank or in the vehicle or in the bag that they could carry during the race. Those drop tokens, if you remember, were heartbreaking to watch. And you were probably just screaming at the contestants who had just dropped them. Or that might have just been me. Okay, moving on. The winners of the race scored another bonus of 25 points. And JD would add up all the points from each team's tokens, which was always an, like an epic... Um, kind of culmination of the race. The winning team would go on to the fun house and the losing team would receive fabulous parting gifts as they always did. I don't remember this happening more than maybe twice, but in the event of a tie, they would go down to a final question with winner take all. And that, I mean, I can't imagine a more stressful moment in TV history than having to go down to this tiebreaker on fun house. Okay. Now on to the main event. The fun house was, iconic and magical and sort of Willy Wonka and Disneyland all rolled into one. It was a giant structure, but that had different rooms and obstacles throughout it. So it not only looked fun, but it was very challenging. I I always loved the water feature that they had that just gave this whole, that gave more like movement to the entire sort of creation. It would look more active. There were giant tags through the funhouse, six red and six green. The red tags were for various prizes, while the green tags were for different cash values. When you're young and broke, any of those things would look good, even if it's like $25. The cash tags were out in plain sight, if you remember this, but the prize tags would be more hidden, especially in the rooms and behind doors and really buried away. The team only had two minutes to get through the funhouse and get as many of these precious tags as possible. You could only have one contestant inside at a time and you could only take a maximum of three tags per run before tagging in your teammate. If you were still carrying the tags when the time ended, it still counted, which is pretty sporting actually for uh, kids so they would get the prizes in the cash and no one really would get screwed over. There was also one secret tag. Do you remember this? The power prize. And it would usually be like a vacation of some sort or whatever. And you remember they would show it hidden within uh, the fun house so the kids had no idea specifically where it was. On kids' game shows, they tend to get screwed out of amazing prizes like, you know, the way you would or as prizes you would get on like Wheel of Fortune or The Price is Right or whatever. But they, they actually had some good stuff and they had a really high price total compared to some of those other kids' shows. So, for example, on that Double Dare show, kids could end up with maybe two to 3000 in cash and prizes. But on Funhouse, kids would often walk away with at least five grand worth of good stuff, um, often cases a lot more. So there was a lot of potential to take home quite a bit. Here's some examples of just some of the prizes that you would see over the season. So there would be, do you remember this one? They would have a limo ride to school for a week, which is awesome, which is a way to stick it to the kids. Guitar lessons, bikes were popular. Telescopes were always big. Uh, there was always some weird home computer. Stereos uh, were big and keyboards were just like a massively popular prize. When I was looking back on all this, there's actually a ton of episodes up on YouTube. So if you want to remember the chaos and the fun of the, this whole thing, just look up Funhouse Game Show or just whatever on YouTube and you can see entire episodes. Uh, you can watch just the, I was watching one that was just like the final Grand Prix and then specific videos that are just the Funhouse itself. But it's kind of interesting to go back and watch 
the entire episode and just see it all play out and remember just a lot of the little like small details within the show. Okay, so this moves on into what was a big part and a big sponsor of the show, and that was British Night Shoes, if you remember those. This is one of the things that stood out to me most uh, on the show as far as, you know, us being obviously, well, speaking for myself, being a dumb kid, and again, having no idea that, you know, you're basically watching a 22-minute commercial, which was a case of, you know, pretty much all kids programming in the 80s, but whatever, you didn't care, it was awesome stuff. One thing, though, that was flagrant advertising was the inclusion of an upstart new shoe company called British Knights. So uh, to me, British Knights were just like, like the holy grail of shoes before he got into like Air Jordans and anything like that. I, I would never have them, but I wanted them more than anything. I don't even think I could get them where I live. That's just like they were just this mythical shoe and J.D. Roth wore them and you could see them throughout the whole show. I mean, they did everything they could to make sure you were very, very aware of British Knights shoes. So interesting story in British Knights. They started in 1983 as a casual shoe, and then they introduced their first sneakers in 1985, and then the brand just exploded. Um, it's, it's interesting because they were really the first sneaker company to always change their designs compared to other companies who always kept the same make and models in their line. I don't know if you remember that on Funhouse specifically, they would always have different models of shoes and that really wasn't a thing. Of course, every shoe company does that now, but at the time it was pretty groundbreaking and British Knights realized they were all about fashion over performance and they weren't afraid to say so. So they would put out new collections you know, maybe three to four times a year, again, unheard of and made a massive splash in the youth and urban communities and, you know, being included with things like Funhouse targeting that precious, you know, youth demographic. The, if you remember British Knights, they stood out with their diamond shaped BK logo and they were one of the very first brands, again, of any type that embraced hip hop culture that was also emerging at the same time. So they work specifically with artists like Cool Modi and Public Enemy. And, you know, obviously like things like shoes like Adidas and Run DMC were synonymous with each other, but not specifically as like a brand deal. And British Knights really got that going before companies like Nike or Reebok really took off with it. I'll, I'll finish on British Knights here, but it's just, Interesting story. If you remember, they had that, uh, they called it Dymacell technology, and it was that diamond-shaped green silicone cushioning embedded within the sole that had a window to it. And again, seeing this on TV and them pushing that product, it just blew my mind as a kid. I remember one kid I went to school with had a pair of British Knights, and like the one you know quintessential rich kid that you went to school with, and I remember him stabbing it with a pen into that uh, Dymacell window thing to try to get it to leak. And it actually leaked out. So, yeah, amazing times. <laughs> Little divergence there. But just looking back on all things Funhouse, I loved it. If you're listening to this show, you probably loved it too. Or you're just vaguely familiar and you want to go back and check it out. But, again, it was the perfect combination of fun, hype, prizes, pitching yourself in the contestants, imagining yourself wearing these sweet BK shoes. When you watched it, you watched this thing so much that you felt like you were a student of the game. You knew 
if you're like, if I only got on this show, I would kill it because I know all the ins and outs of the fun house. I've watched all these kids before. I know where they've made the mistakes. I know where to go. I feel so that was probably the situation for every kid who even got on the show. And I imagine it changes once you get into that scenario. It's like, you know, when you watch the Olympics or the winter or summer Olympics and you watch like one specific sport that you didn't know anything about, like synchronized diving or something like that and you don't get it and then by the end you feel like you're an expert and you're critiquing every dive you've seen and just screaming at someone making like the most the smallest little mistake that's the way i felt personally with funhouse maybe you did too that i had the secret that i would dominate the show because i've watched it so much i know how what makes it work so there would be other iterations of funhouse uh it moved over to fox and then they had, I don't know if you remember this, it was called College Funhouse, which basically sums up pretty much every frat ever. There was also the UK version, which in um, a rare turnaround actually copied a US show and not the other way around, which has been a thing. Obviously, like the first thing you think of is like, um, you know, The Office, um, and that copying the British version of The Office. Here's another interesting one. Three's Company, that whole concept and everything was originally a British show too. And it, the, the pilot episode of uh, Three's Company, it was basically a shot for shot remake of this British version. So a lot of the, sh- and there's a ton of other examples, but this is one of the first times England copied an American product and it was pretty successful over there. But to wrap up, Funhouse, amazing part of the 80s, even if you didn't get the prizes, just I would give, you know, um, like in my left leg just to have a chance to run through the fun house, not even to have to win anything just to go through this thing. So hopefully you remember it that fondly too. So that's it for me. Thanks for listening to this uh, just quick episode on hopefully a fond <laughs> television memory of the 1980s. Again, if you haven't already, or if you're new here, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. If you really like it, Uh, Leave it a rating and review. That way more people get to see the show. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Bye.